Konnichiwa. Welcome to the Jandals in Japan podcast. Kia ora, Catherine. Konnichiwa, Jane. Let's start with a big congratulations to you. Thank you. Yeah. So if you haven't heard already, Catherine has been appointed to the, oh God, I'm not going to say it right. Please say it for me. <laughs> the Audit and Supervisory Board. That's of it. Toyota Motor Corporation. Amazing. Thank you. So Toyota has two boards. One is the Board of Directors and one mm. is the Audit and Supervisory Board. But as an Audit and Supervisory Board member, a corporate auditor, I also attend the Board of Director meetings as well. So I get to go to both of them and get a really great broad vision of the company. And obviously moving now towards a, being a mobility company, uh, it's very exciting. There's lots of things happening. So exciting I'm very, times, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, very, very great time to be joining them. They're a wonderful bunch of people and can't wait to be working mm. with them. They do a lot with New Zealand as well. So there could be some very interesting tie-ins there uh, with uh, Toyota New Zealand. Exciting, exciting, exciting stuff. Congratulations. You, Yay! Yay! <laughs> We're also very excited today because we got emails from Air New Zealand this morning, didn't we? Oh, fresh out. Thank you so much, Air New Zealand. Looks like you're Yay. increasing some flights between Japan and New Zealand this summer, our New Zealand summertime. Yeah, I'm thrilled that it's going to be easier to book a flight home and to have Yay. people come and visit us. So that usual NZ99 will continue, mm. right, from leaving Japan uh, at 6.30 in the, in the evening and heading into Auckland at 9am. But then the other ones are very interesting, right? There was that NZ95 departing Auckland at 5 to midnight. Mm. So an overnight flight back to Japan will become available. That's right, yeah. arriving mm. at 6.50 in the morning into Narita. So with the amazing transportation in Tokyo from Narita into the city, you can probably be doing a meeting at by 10, I would yeah, say. Yeah, you could make a 10 maybe if you Without that COVID stuff going the... on at the airport either. There's like, immigration yeah. pretty fast. Mm -hmm. And the other flight looks like it's a leaving Narita at 4.30 p.m. NZ94, arriving into Auckland at 5.05 a.m. So again, from there, you can get to your business meetings or whatever you've got on, on that day, day very yeah. early in the morning, mm. I guess. Right. You could get to something in Auckland at nine. You could fly down to Christchurch or mm. South Island and get into a meeting pretty early on in the morning. It's good mm. stuff. Awesome stuff. So I'm so excited that Air New Zealand is able to do this. This is a huge support for New Zealanders in Japan as well. And we'd like to add to our wish list, Air New Zealand, if you're listening. <laughs> Air New Zealand! A direct flight from Tokyo to Christchurch, like they used to have in the olden days, back yes, in the day please. when I first came here. That was amazing to not have to go to Auckland <laughs> for us so good. mainlanders. Yes. And then we would love to see the Osaka New Zealand route, preferably to Christchurch as well, but uh, to Auckland if necessary, come back online as well. So fingers crossed for that. Since yeah. Japan is the hot place to be going it to, is. isn't it? It is. It is hot. It's hot, hot, hot. And a few other clients have just come out of the woodwork who are wanting to come and set up in Japan, mm. set up offices, physical offices, and they've got a lot of business here. So that's been happening a lot just recently. So. It's great. You know, New Zealand, Japan is back on. It wasn't ever off, but it's certainly very, very hot mm, right now. Yeah. Amazing. That's and I fantastic. think the thing that's really hard at the moment in Japan, though, is getting a hotel, getting a yes. booking. 
Yes. So you've got to get ahead of the curve and start booking your accommodation quite early. And also, well, it's quite expensive. The price of a, a, a room at a hotel in Tokyo in Japan has gone up. It has. I'm literally quaking in my boots if I have to go to Tokyo and stay the night now. We were thoroughly spoiled during COVID. Weren't we just? That, that, just how that was during COVID um, was not reality, let's just face it. But yes, now with our tourists coming back in, things are increasing. So book those rooms if you're coming. Yeah. And our guest today talks a little bit more about that, doesn't she? She does. Rebecca Thorne is the general manager at Hotel Indigo in Tokyo, actually in the heart of Shibuya, one of the amazing location suburbs of uh, suburbs. Can we call it a suburb? Yes, we can. Of Tokyo. It's scheduled to open in August this year. Uh, and we had a fantastic conversation with Rebecca. She's been in the industry for more than 20 years. She knows her staff. She's been a great observer of things that are done differently in Japan compared to New Zealand. And she gives us that intel. It's super exciting. Mm -hmm. And we can't wait to see what happens with Rebecca and actually go and stay there too, Jane. Yeah, we need to check out this this thing. The location is amazing. It's right next to the Scramble Crossing, right? You can, or very exactly. close to it. You can very actually close to it. look out and see the Scramble Crossing from the hotel. So it's going to be an amazing place when it opens very soon. Uh, Rebecca mentioned the actual launch date to us just a few days ago, which is August 29th. Yeah yeah august 29th so get on and book those rooms because they are going up in price and they the hint are. was to book direct wasn't yes, it so, book direct yeah. yes don't go oh, through right. one of those uh something dot coms um <laughs> uh, because they take their their slice of the pie before they send you on etc that's quite a large slice too let's hear it from rebecca Kia Rebecca. Welcome to the Jandals in Japan podcast. Great to have you on the show today. Thank you. Good morning. So we like to start off with our warm-up question. Great. And our question for you today is, what is one of your favorite staying experiences in Japan? So this could be a hotel or ryokan or a capsule hotel, or perhaps you haven't tried one yet and there's something you'd like to try, or maybe you've been somewhere amazing that you re thoroughly recommend. Um, okay, I'm going to be a little bit biased and I'm going to choose one of our hotels. <laughs> oh, please do. Um, and there's a, I mean, there's a, there's a lot that I've stayed at. Um, and I think throughout the pandemic, we were very lucky that we could um, move around a little bit when, um, when we were able to and stay at some of the amazing properties um, without them being too busy, which was very lucky in hindsight. I would have to say that one of my favorites is uh, Hakone. So we actually have a hotel Indigo in Hakone Gora. Um, the thing I love about it, all of the rooms have a private onsen on the balcony. The food is incredible. The neighborhood story is incredible. And I just love Hakone. So I would probably say Hakone. And it's very close to Tokyo. So nice to get out for a weekend. And if I can have two choices, my second would be down in Ishigaki. So we have an amazing wow, um, intercontinental yeah. in Ishigaki. Yeah. So that experience is, is unbelievable as well. So those would be my two. Fantastic. Catherine, you have anything to top that? Ooh. <laughs> Raise the bar there. So I was reading about the Hakone one, and you do have, there's a, I think Gora Brewery is there too, and there's yes. a brewery tour and all that. And I was like, oh, I'd love yeah. to go there. Well, yeah. I'm going to stay in Hakone because um, I was at a, a 
a place on Friday evening and mm. the bartender was telling me about Bar Hotel in Hakone. It was just called Bar Hotel, I think. And nice. it's a larger price ticket item for the hotel stay, but it includes the onsen, etc. But the bar, anything you have from the bar inside your room or at the bar itself in the hotel is all included in your price. So you can have the biggest bottles of champagne or you can have nice. the smallest cocktails, whatever you want. So this is their concept. And it kind of reminded me of what your sort of boutique style that you've got as well. But I thought there, yeah, but then when I read up about you, I was like, oh, I'm going to Hakone Gora, I think, instead. Highly recommend. <laughs> yeah, so that's Bar Hotel. Jane, what about you? Wow, that sounds amazing, Bar Hotel. Mm. I am going to give a shout out to my favorite little ryokan in Japan located here in uh, Yumoto Onsen, Iwaki City, not the other Yumoto Onsen. So this is the one in Fukushima. And it's Ryokan Koito. And the Okami-san there and the owner, uh, Koito-san, really lovely couple that run that place. But the thing that I really like about this ryokan is that they accept anybody. And some ryokan will turn certain customers away. Mm. This ryokan, Anybody is acceptable. Uh, I think uh, Boryokudan, so we might, you know, the, the sort of gang members, maybe not, but people with different lifestyles are accepted at this Nyokan. And nice. they have these conventions at the Nyokan for Kigurumi. Do you know what a Kigurumi is? No. It's those full body fluffy suits oh, that wow. people wear with, like, like they might be a fox or a rabbit or something. And so there's this huge community of Kigurumi people throughout Japan and cosplayers as well. And so mm. they have these sort of uh, meetups and they all come and stay at the Yokan. So you'd be walking down the hallway, going to the onsen, and this rabbit will walk around the corner and it's like, oh, hi. And they'll be like, hi. It's really That's fun. fascinating. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that town is very welcoming to these uh, Kigurumi or cosplayers. And so you can go to the local shrine and have taking mm. photos. They love to do like taking photos together and things so that would be my shout out to cool uh, i think if people Koito. are wondering it's like jay leto at the met gala wearing that cat yeah, yeah. Cat. <laughs> it's like that yeah, that cat thing that cat um, thing. yeah yeah and remember we were staying there catherine and we were in the bar and we were having a drink or something and like the people at the next table with both kigurumi people there was like a fox and a I, don't know I think another was. fox. Two foxes or something. Foxes. A wolf. That's it was a amazing. wolf and a fox. A wolf and a fox. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we're at the next table and we were just sitting there like going. It's oh so real. God. It was so real. It was like they look oh, so cool though. They look they, very cool. They look I very really cool. want to go. That sounds fascinating. Yeah, it's fun. It really That's is so fun. Good. Hopefully we'll get you there one day. But that'd yeah. be awesome. Rebecca Thorne, thank you so much for joining us. And we know thank you're you. a maestro in the hotel hospitality field. Currently the general manager of Hotel Indigo Tokyo in Shibuya. Uh, that's going to open a bit later this year. But you've been in this industry for such a long time in New Zealand and uh, since you came to Japan. And we'll put your full bio into the show notes later. But tell us about your background in New Zealand, uh, your journey from being an F&B manager right through to just coming to Japan and, and to the strings into continental in Tokyo and beyond. So tell us a bit more about yourself. So I actually started in hospitality, it's going to sound really long, but 25 years ago. And it happened because basically my parents started giving us an allowance every month and they said, if you want more money, you can go and work for it. So at 14 years old, I got a job at the fish and chip shop 
quintessential Kiwi, just around the corner. Um, and I was cashier and I was working part-time, so after school and on weekends. And I really enjoyed it. And that was my obviously my first taste into hospitality. But I really enjoyed, you know, serving people. And it was just, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. Uh, when I left school, I actually studied floristry for a year. And I kept my hospitality gigs on the side going. So I was working at a cafe and then I worked at a restaurant kind of decided that uh, floristry was more of a hobby than a you know career for me. I'd always been a very creative person, but that was kind of more for fun. But I really loved hospitality. And I ended up moving to Queenstown when I was 18 years old. And I had heard that there were all of these hospitality jobs and this incredible town and adventure and restaurants and bars and hotels. So I decided to go down to Queenstown actually to get a job there and to to work there. And I, I loved skiing as a, as a kid as well. So I grew up in Tauranga and, um, and Cambridge. So um, I moved from Cambridge down, down to Queenstown. So quite a different end of New Zealand, but I loved it. And I, I applied for a job that I saw in the paper, obviously what you did back then. And I worked at a hotel restaurant as a breakfast waitress. And I had the time of my life. It was so much fun. And so I started off in food and beverage. And then after some time, they're like, you know, do you want to come to front office? And we think that you'd be good at it. Maybe you can give it a go. And I went kicking and screaming. I, I really, <laughs> I didn't want to go. And anyone in the hotel industry will tell you that, you know, rooms division of food and beverage have this thing. It's it's um, a very nice rivalry, but it's a lot of fun. So I, I initially didn't want to go because I loved food and beverage and everything about that kind of service culture. But then I moved to rooms division, ended up really enjoying that. And I stayed. So I ended up doing kind of 11 years in rooms division in the end. I travel a lot. Uh, I move around a lot and I really enjoy that. I like being mobile. So after three years in Queenstown, I moved to the UK for a year, then back to Queenstown again, where I joined IHG at 22 years old. And then I was in Queenstown for three years again that time. Ended as front office manager in Crown Plaza, Queenstown, and then um, was looking for a new challenge. And I ended up moving to Fiji, so intercontinental Fiji, a few months after it had opened as front office manager. And I was there for about two and a half years. And then from there, I kind of just kept moving. And then I was in uh, Adelaide in South Australia when I made the switch back to food and beverage. Um, I was F&B manager at the intercontinental there. Then I went back to rooms division again. <laughs> as director of guest experience in, in Melbourne at Intercontinental. And then I made the move back to New Zealand. So I'd been away for about eight years and ended up heading back to or heading to Wellington, which is where my family's from and what I would consider home. And I was at uh, Intercontinental Wellington for about a year and a half as EAM, so executive assistant manager, um, second in charge to GM. And I was there and I was loving it. And then it all got disrupted when um, my boss came to me and said, okay, you're, you've achieved what you needed to achieve and people want you to start moving. And, you know, here are a couple of opportunities for you to consider. I love to be challenged as an individual, um, you know, personally, professionally. So Japan was one of the options and the strings by Intercontinental in, in Tokyo and Shinagawa, they were looking for an executive assistant manager. They were undergoing a renovation. It was Rugby World Cup. We had the Olympics coming. So I thought, you know, what an exciting, you know, opportunity. So um, I was successful in that and moved over in 2019. Yeah, August. 
Very exciting. Wow, mm. what a career and staying in different uh, hotels, but within the same right group, family, yes. being yeah, able 17 to move around. Yes. What was it like though arriving into Tokyo? You, you just, I mean, choosing the option of Japan is quite wild, it really, <laughs> right? And I, I yeah. know there's that attractiveness of Rugby World Cup Olympics, but aside from that, when you arrived here, do you remember those first few days and months when you came and what hit you about Japan? Yeah, I think um, <laughs> the biggest thing, I arrived at like the beginning of August, so the heat, obviously the heat, I was like, this is unbearable. So I remember arriving kind of it was a Saturday night I arrived and and I just remember thinking okay it's really warm here in this hotel this hotel amazing hotel you know I'm very biased but such a stunning property and the next day I had a few friends in Tokyo already and the next day one of my friends said we're gonna do go and do boot camp in New Yogi Park and I was like oh you know I'm I'm pretty fit you know I go to the gym I really enjoy working out and he said, yeah, there's a bunch of us doing it. It's two hours. And I thought, you know, maybe I should just take it easy. It's my first day in Japan. I went with them. I didn't participate. Oh, my word. I, I, it was so hot. It was unbelievable. And I remember I would walk like 50 meters and just drink a whole bottle of water. And it was just so overwhelming. And I'd been skiing the week before in Queenstown before I came. And so I remember the heat. And I remember seeing the crows thinking they are the biggest birds I've seen in my life. <laughs> they so are, aren't the they? The dog-sized I mean, crows, I remember. Yeah. Huge. They're massive. Um, so, I mean, those are very, like, fresh kind of thoughts about Japan. But I actually lived in the hotel for the first couple of months while we were doing the renovation and before I um, found an apartment. But I just remember, you know, the level of hospitality and the Amotanashi here is unbelievable. And you get that at, you know, a kombini. And so, you know, you you get it at a kombini. People are speaking kegel to you at a kombini. And then, you know, you go to these hotels where the, the service is just next level. So I remember thinking through my experience in hospitality, it's very professional, but we also have that kind of Kiwi hospitality, which is a little bit more casual, you know, and even in in, in luxury properties, we have that in New Zealand. So um, and a bit in Australia as well. So coming here was it was a, a real tester for me to lift my game as well and what I was doing. Mm, yeah, that's very interesting. So now that you've been here, I'm doing my maths five years, right? Yeah, well, yeah. almost four, almost yeah, four. Almost coming four, up sorry. four years. Coming yeah, up four years. So omotenashi to you, what does that look like now? It's just amazing. It, it's really even yesterday I got a courier arrive and he was speaking Kegel to me. I was like, it's, it's just incredible. It makes you feel so special and it makes everyone feel so special. And I think it's very professional. In Japan, we're not so personalized with our service. And that's one thing that people don't necessarily want either though. Um, and especially during the pandemic, we noticed that a lot, the difference between, you know, the domestic consumer compared to, you know, international consumer. And I'm from international hotels usually. So we have a lot of international guests. Um, so it is all about that personalized experience, but it's a little bit different for, for domestic consumers questions you kind of ask. So the expectation is so high from people in terms of service and a motenashi. So, you know, for us to be able to deliver it and deliver it beyond is something that we really, really focus on. But it's incredible throughout Japan, everywhere. Tell us mm. a bit more then about that personalized service. What does that mean? And is there any examples you can give the difference there? 
in New Zealand, you you would have a guest arriving into the hotel and you will automatically kind of try and build the rapport with them. You, mm. you know, I'm in the the industry of creating memories, right? And delivering really great experiences to people. And so we would say, you know, welcome to the hotel. What brings you to Wellington today? And, you know, what are you doing here? Where have you traveled from? In Japan, those are really personal questions. A lot of people don't like to receive those kinds of questions. It's quite intrusive. And certainly the team are very aware of that. And so they wouldn't ask those kinds of questions. So I think that would be the biggest difference. You know, the things that would work in New Zealand or or in Australia, they don't necessarily work in Japan. And um, I was having a, a conversation with a colleague recently, and we were talking about courtesy calls, so guest checks into the hotel and you know, New Zealand, Australia, you would call the room. How's the room? Is there anything I can get for you? Are you comfortable? You wouldn't do that in Japan. Mm-hmm. It's um, it's too intrusive. And and someone has paid for that kind of space in the room. So mm, bit of a That's difference. Really interesting. interesting. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes the person will come up to you to the room and say, is there anything you need some help with? Or, yeah. you know, what's the Wi-Fi I might ask? Or, oh, is it automatic curtains or not? And I might get some instruction there, but... More often than not, yes, I think you've pulled out a really interesting point there that we are mm. the difference, big difference between New Zealand and Japan, and neither's right or wrong. It's just a different way of doing things. Just different, yeah, exactly. Mm. I notice a lot of like answering questions that they might have, like giving them a lot of information, like this is yes. where that is, and this is how you use that, and this is that sort of happens, yeah. which Japanese people love, right? They mm. love to know where everything is and how mm. it all works, and then leave me alone. Yeah, yeah. And, and don't ask me where I came from, who I'm with, why I'm here. That's none of your business. Exactly. It's totally not your business. Exactly. Um, unless it's something super obvious, like, oh, it, you're here on business or something. You can talk about yeah. the super obvious things like, oh, it's, it's weather today or something. Is that exactly. how it sort of goes in the hotel? Yeah, yeah, exactly. You can't, you, you know, it's all about reacting to the customer and I'm um, reading the customer and how, you know, far they want to go with the conversation and, it can go bad in New Zealand now where you're saying, you know, what brings you to the hotel? And someone will say, like, I'm here for a funeral. And you're like, oh, like that's that's right. unfortunate and sad. But how can we then turn that into a positive experience for the guest? So, you know, without hiding away from it by writing a nice note and sending it to the room, for example. But, yeah, it, it's different in Japan. And personalization in, in New Zealand, we want more information about the customer so we can adapt our style to them. Um, and in Japan, we kind of just have to be, all things to all people without necessarily asking all the questions. It's a real fine line sometimes, isn't it? I checked into a hotel in Tokyo in the last, let's say, last six months, and Mm. there were some other people who I knew who were also there as a separate group. But because the person who checked me in knew me from having stayed there and knew the other people that I knew them, because we had had times where we were together, they assumed that we Uh. were together. And so they said, so you're here for that? And I'm like, well, no, actually, I'm not. But I felt funny having to say yeah. whether I was or wasn't. So I really get your point. Yeah. Um, let's not assume. And it's up to the person if they want to volunteer that information. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So did you have to do quite a big swap then from your way of doing Kiwi hospitality, which in New Zealand, when you check in and they're like, what's brought you here? And you can be yeah. Enjoy that might be a front link to Japanese checking in perhaps, but from that to Japan style, how did you adjust there? I think one of the things obviously was the language barrier. So I couldn't as much um, anyway. When I moved here, I had very, very limited Japanese. So I think that kind of stopped me from being able to do that anyway. And 
And I, I learn by watching anyway. So I often will just stand in the lobby and observe and see what's what's happening. So I kind of learned a lot that way. And I it's important, I think, when you're going into a new culture and immersing yourself to take a step back and just absorb everything and, and really pay attention to what's happening around you and learn from that. And I think, <laughs> let's talk about COVID for a minute, because of course, it's it's been a big chunk of the last, um, or it's been the majority of my time here, but for, um, you know, three years, we had no international tourism. We had no international guests coming to to check in at the hotel. Um, so I had to do a, a, a major switch. And, and although it was really difficult, I'm so grateful for that experience because I wouldn't have had that immersive, you know, experience if it hadn't been for COVID. So I was literally thrown right in the deep end of everything that was domestic consumerism. And it was just incredible. And I learned so, so much. It was just fascinating. And I'm so grateful for it because if I had been here for 10 years in a normal operating hotel um, with, you know, normal international tourism coming in, it would be a very different story, I think. Mm. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? Silver lining of something so awful but do you remember so you were standing back and observing and taking it all in is there something that strikes you from that point in time that is still very very relevant now even though we've got international guests trickling back through is there something that stuck with you in particular i think that you know we'll we'll go back to when we were you know just talking about instructions and things like that you know this culture definitely follows rules and guidelines i guess and, and boundaries and so in a hotel, I think that the biggest difference for me is that, you know, if you have check-in time at three o'clock and checkouts 12 o'clock, for example, everyone checks in at three, everyone checks out at, at 12. The queuing, you know, when I, I think when I first moved here, I nearly had a conniption. I was in the restaurant and someone put, raised their hand to one of the team. And I thought, oh my goodness, I can't believe people are having to raise their hand for service. And I didn't realize that that's what you do here it's a service culture. I'm used to us having to watch the customer and, you know, read their body language to see when they're ready to order as, you know, they're reading the menu and then they put the menu down, you know, that's your time to go over. There is no raising hands, you know? So I think that I remember thinking I was shocked when I first arrived I thought, Oh my God. And then I saw the queue at the front desk to check in and the same thing again, I'm thinking, Oh my God, people are queuing. This is it's really bad. Actually, it's just what happens. And so I had to learn to kind of my cues that I had, you know, learned to um, read my entire career were completely thrown out the window. Oh, such excellent examples. I mean, I had a recent <laughs> hotel stay as well. You might think I stay at hotels a lot, but I do love. I love that you hotels. do. I love that I you do. do. I do. Yeah. I'll look out! I'll be coming to yours. Excellent. But that whole thing about checking out on time as well. Um, Japan, they will check out on time or just before, but think in New Zealand perhaps, or maybe overseas, people will just take it right to the edge Oh yeah, <laughs> and come down late. They'll maybe just start getting their bags packed at 10 to 3 and, and check out at quarter past. Exactly. Uh, right? Or, or later. But that's interesting, isn't it? That uh, you pulled that one out. I really think that's true. Oh gosh, yeah. yes. The predictability is is nice in some ways. I mean, it's nice for the team for sure. Because, it, you know, everything's running like clockwork. But as soon as we have international guests come back and they walk into the restaurant without waiting at the host stand, it's not following the rules. It's a little, little bit disruptive in, in a lot of ways. Yeah, especially after the pandemic ended, you know, the first right. international guest that checked in, 
you know, it was new. We hadn't seen anyone for two and a half years. It was incredible. Yeah. Are there any things conversely that you have introduced to your particular chain in Japan that is something from New Zealand or a way of Kiwi hospitality that has been a little different but has kind of worked here? Is there anything like that that's happened? I would probably just say my style and <laughs> as a as a whole, generalizing, and, it, and probably it takes a little bit to get used to. One of the most important things I learned right when I moved here, and I um, I learned this, I read the book, um, The Culture Map. It's incredible. And, and anyone who's moving to Japan or moving to any other culture is, I really highly recommend it. I recommended it to one of my team recently who works very closely with someone from another culture. And he said, I am so pleased you told me about that book. But it really talks about the different you know, styles and business and how we operate. And one of the best examples I will use is in New Zealand, we're all, you know, kind of guns blazing when there's a new idea and there's lots of new ideas and it's really exciting and we want to implement them straight away and see what happens. And it's all kind of everyone's on board. And then the opposite is true in Japan. So, you know, here instead, you know, there's nemawashi and you plant the seed very early on. And in your mind, you know what you want in the, in the end, but you kind of have to work towards it and work through all of those things. So it was a very good lesson early on to know that I had to be patient and I had to sit through the meeting about a meeting for an hour and then another hour and then another hour to make sure everyone was on board and we answered all of the what if questions. But what I learned is that as soon as the initiative was rolled out, it was embedded, it was absolute perfection and, and nothing went wrong. And their opposite ends, you know, what I'm used to is we would just implement it, learn from it, make the adjustments and eventually you know, we'd work it out. There is no, again, no right or wrong between the two. There's value in both of them for sure. Um, I think if we do it the Kiwi way where we just implement it and see what happens, um, there can be an impact on the customer and it can be an impact on the team, can be other, you know, financial impacts, for example. But I think the way that we do it here in Japan is good in the sense that once it's embedded, it doesn't have negative impact on anyone because we've answered all of the questions. But we do spend a significant amount of time on those what if questions. When I first arrived, it was mind blowing, really. So I think that with my team, I still have that Kiwi in me. I'm still, you know, coming sometimes. I'm like, we're going to do this. Let's, let's go. And and they're kind of like, ah, oh, she, here she comes with another idea. In my job now and with this brand, it's a very bold brand um, and it's very colorful and creative and personalized. It's fantastic. So um, I've been having a lot of fun from a creativity perspective and I will come in and I'm you know, some mornings I'm like, team, I've got an idea. And they're like, here we go. <laughs> so, yeah. about that? Because this hotel, we've had a little look on the website and it looks extremely funky. And I'm considering to myself, that's probably why you chose Shibuya as your first location, I think, in Tokyo, right? Tell us yeah. more about that and that exciting opportunity. So you move from Strings uh, yes. to take up this next job. What yeah. there? And it just looks like such a funky hotel. It's an incredible hotel. Mm. Yeah, thank you. Mm. It's um, it's built now. It's where I'm sitting now, which is fantastic. It's an incredible location. It's in Dogenzaka. Um, so it's opposite kind of Mega Donkey and H&M. It's pretty big. It's 28 stories and somehow hasn't disrupted the neighborhood in any way. We really fit in here. And for us, it's about kind of, it, you know, all of the Hotel Indigo brands are about the neighborhood story and it's about bringing the neighborhood to life in the hotel mm 
but also, um, you know, we fit in really well here. And and the guests who come and stay with us, they can expect to really experience the neighbourhood in the hotel. But also when they go out into the neighbourhood, they can see the links that are all tied back um, to the hotel. So we're doing a lot of work with, you know, local people. So we're collaborating a lot with local people, designers and artists and things. Our hotel in particular, we've got a strong focus on music. Obviously, that's huge in Shibuya. Art, fashion, design, um, you know, that iconic Shibuya streetscape um, with the graffiti and things. So people can expect a lot of, you know, color and excitement in the hotel. It's still a really beautiful place to kind of relax and unwind. And we're, you know, above and you can watch down and see people cross the crossing and it's incredible. Yeah. So, and it's all about, you know, exploring and, and uncovering hidden parts of the neighborhood. So we're working on those concepts at the moment. Love that. I can't wait to come and stay. How about you, Catherine? We're oh, signing us I'm up. I'm there. I'm there. Yes, please. <laughs> First guest. Please. Yeah, we'll be first. So, we'll cut the, can we come for the oh, ribbon cutting? Yeah, perhaps? why not? <laughs> The good old ribbon cutting. Yeah. That's really beautiful and lovely to hear about the connection between hotels and neighbourhoods because Mm. I think historically that's not really how it's happened. It's like, we are the hotel, we're here, too bad for you lot around us. But this is a very different way of doing it. And I think that's something that New Zealand hotels could really learn from potentially. What do you think? Yeah. I think so for sure. It's, uh, I mean, this brand is fascinating. It's, um, It's a really incredible brand and I'm sure... There are many hotels popping up all over the world and um, our company in particular is very fast growing. So there's a lot happening, but, you know, having a property or a brand like Hotel Indigo that really embraces the neighborhood and brings it to life is just awesome. I think it's such a great community feel and it's so good for the team, especially the team who are actually from Shibuya. They feel like they have some like ownership and right to be working, which is awesome. It's really incredible. Um, and everyone has their kind of favorite little spots around Shibuya, which is great. Um, it's nice to see that all coming to life. Um, but I think, you know, any neighborhood has this. And I think it's just awesome to be having some kind of responsibility to bring that to life is, is really fun. It's been a lot of fun. It's a big difference from, you know, I was with Intercontinental Brand for 13 years, and I love that too. Very different brand. But yeah, it's it's been a really positive change for me too. So you know, I was living in Tamachi and working in Shinagawa, and now I'm living in Ibisu and working in Shibuya. So it's just a major change, huge change. That's so my Japan fun. experience has changed completely. Yeah, yeah it, it is changed. a lot of fun. I'm sort of thinking when you said about your staff having come from the area, they are so invested in that and want very to much. be very popular. And I can imagine I've been to Shibuya so many times and seen that crossing, but I love going to Tokyo Hands or Hands as it's now called or to yeah. Loft or, uh, you know, to some of the places around the Ikea and H&M, as you mentioned. But yeah, I've never really dined a lot in that area at all. Oh, it's amazing. Because I've always thought... Maybe I've had a prejudice. I'm not sure. But now I'm excited to know because I just thought it was cheap or that I'd be surrounded by uh, young people and I'd feel out of it. So if I'm going to go into your hotel and I want to speak with one of the staff there, they're going to tell me something that's probably really age appropriate or that's maybe different that I haven't even thought about. I'm making myself sound old. But what I mean is Shibuya is a very young and youthful area. But at the same time, I see all kinds of people there. And I'd love, it just feels exciting to me 
to know that you've got staff that are going to probably introduce me to somewhere a little hole in the wall somewhere interesting that I would never have found myself and I think that's they will. the beauty of the concept of yeah. having locals working in your in your hotel wow. exactly yeah when does the hotel open and what are the plans between now and then what have you got on your slate to have to accomplish um I've got a lot <laughs> There's a lot happening. So we, uh, we're due to open September, October. So we haven't, um, you know, confirmed those dates yet. Autumn, 2023. We're, um, we're obviously selling rooms now from the 1st of October and we're getting ready for that. Um, we are working on menu development at the moment. We're working on linen schedules. We're hiring. Um, so we're doing some mass recruitment shortly as well. My key leadership team is on board and have been on board since kind of January and 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 growing very quickly. So it's all about kind of embedding the brand in them and making sure that they're all up to speed on their particular roles as well. And obviously product, we're developing a lot of product. We've got um, all of the furniture that's coming in now, which is fantastic. So every day something new arrives, it's very exciting to go and look at the rooms and I guess our like our concept is is completed and um, our neighborhood story is you know under development. So it's really about um, you know that kind of commercial positioning and and product to to make sure it's all ready to go when the doors open. So what can somebody expect to pay when they're coming to stay? Just a general sort of like thirty thousand, forty thousand. What sort a bit, of yeah, a little bit in here, bit higher than that, <laughs> bit higher than that. Wow. It is, yeah, and 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 what I will say is that the market has come back with a vengeance. Yeah, it after has. Um, I'm like shaking in my boots every time I have to go to Tokyo and stay. I'm like, oh my god, I think yeah, I might have to sleep rates, under a railway bridge tonight. Like seriously. the rates are high, um, yeah. for sure, and um, and and that has been this huge pent up demand after COVID, and um, you know, Japan being the most popular destination for people to come to, and I think you know, this is global. This has been a global reaction in hotels and we've seen it in airlines too. So mm. it's all kind of come together. And I think with the um the yen being so weak has worked in the favor to to increase rates as well. So there's a number of kind of things that have made up the perfect storm. I would say, you know, the rates are the rates are quite high. And towards the end of this year it's kind of peak. So Q4 is is quite peak. So the rates are usually um 40, 50,000 above. Mm-hmm. Um, for a lot of Tokyo hotels as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. what I will say, one thing that that I will make a comment on, whatever you do, always sign up for the loyalty program. It is mm. such a good idea. Our loyalty program, you get a discount for every time you stay and certain perks as well. And it's free to join. So this is one key thing as a hotelier, I would always say to people, always sign up for whatever yes. loyalty program is on offer. I highly recommend you do it. Always book direct. Yeah. Yeah. And always book direct. Exactly. Most, Mm. most companies have a price guarantee. Yeah. Lowest price guarantee. So always book direct. And is that IHG? IGH. IHG. IHG. Yeah. Intercontinental Hotel Group, right? IHG. It's not Indigo and specifically it is. No. Yeah. It's Intercontinental Hotels Group. Yeah. IHG. Yeah. It's called IHG One Rewards. Wonderful. Thank you for that. Not signing up. Wow. Do you see too, as a Kiwi in Japan, any other gold mines that are waiting for others, other Kiwis perhaps to be able to take advantage of here? Like there might be things that you've noticed outside of or inside of the hotel trade 
uh, that you think that Kiwis probably could leverage from that, that kind of uh, idea that you said before, come in guns blazing, but mm. maybe not that whole approach here, but just the idea expansion that they may have available to them. What have you seen that you might? Yeah, I, I mean, the, for me, what I've seen is the opportunities are endless here. I, I mean, the economy is incredible now. There's so much development. It's unbelievable. In hotels in particular, there's a lot happening and I think for some time people were afraid to come because of the language barrier um, and especially after the pandemic, there was a lot of kind of fear about not being able to speak Japanese and there was a lot of fear from the industry as well and not being able to have staff who spoke Japanese. I highly recommend people to be able to speak Japanese or, or learn it. Learn the culture is very, very important but it it's not a hindrance. It shouldn't stop you from doing anything. I think there's a lot of opportunity here there's a huge amount of opportunity, I think, in sustainability. Um, we have a long way to go in Japan. There's so much opportunity. So anything you can do from a sustainability perspective, go for it. A lot of opportunity. Brilliant. And finally, your one nugget. Can we trim it down to one nugget of advice for New Zealanders coming into Japan, you would say? I came in with, I guess, no expectations or very little expectations. And I think the more you come in with wanting to be challenged and having an open mind and really kind of embracing the culture, then do it. Definitely be patient, be kind, and just really absorb the culture and, and see what you can kind of get from it and what you can give back is really important. Love yeah. it. Awesome. Perfect. Anything else you wanted us to ask you today, Rebecca? Um, I don't think so. I, I think we've basically covered everything. I mean, thank you for, for um, coming into my world of hotels and the fascinating world of hotels and our guests and, and the team and everything. I, I mean, I don't think so. I think we've covered a lot. So can't wait to see the hotel open. Yes. Um, if you need anyone to ribbon cut, we're there. If you need someone Thank to you. do a little, you know, outsider's view of what the rooms look like, what the food tastes like. Always We're here there. to help you. <laughs> Always here to help you. And we're just so thrilled as a Kiwi, you know, woman, a Wahine yes. Toa, you are here in Tokyo kicking it. Yeah. Thank uh, you. And so, so Amazing. big congratulations for being a successful female jandal Thank in you. Japan and for telling us this amazing story of your journey and what's coming up. We can't wait to see what you do next. Thank you so Thank much, you. Rebecca. Thank you so much, Magic. Thanks for having me on the show. Oh my goodness, I loved hearing from Rebecca today. What a total star jandal we have here in Japan. Well, Japan is lucky. We are all lucky to have her here. Amazing. Aren't we? I loved hearing about how she just took a moment to just stand back and not bring her gung-ho kiwiness with her when she came into Japan and looked and learned to see what would be different. And it is, I'm sure the hospitality is very, very different. How you approach your customers here, you totally cannot be having an in-depth conversation about all their, you know, no. where they've been, what they're doing. They don't want to tell you that. That's, no. that's personal information. Penny you really dropped. got to sort of pull it back a little bit in that right. way here, right? But they do want to know how to find the remote control and how to make the curtains work in their room or where the restaurant is. You've got to tell them those things so that they can enjoy their stay because they feel comfortable in their surroundings. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure not every person in the hotel follows somebody up to the room and, and drops them off and explains everything because that might also be into the 
you know, the start of the hotel stay is, is well, it's from the reception, but when you get into the room space itself and, but that was really remarkable. I hadn't thought about it in that way, the way where I love going to Kiwi land and have, hi, where have you come from today? And yeah, I love that. I'm like, oh, like, where this and that? And I used to live here or whatever. Yeah. But here, yes, completely different. Mm. Um, And that works. You're right. It works too. Works yeah. too. It works I wonder how too. the foreign, yeah, the foreign tourists coming receiving that kind of mm. service and not really realizing that they are receiving an amazing level of service because it wasn't personal for them. So yeah, yeah the Japanese stuff able to sort of step out of that little bit and be a little bit more. Maybe if the guest says, "Yeah, we're here for our twenty fifth wedding mm. anniversary," and be like, "Oh, that's wonderful! Congratulations!" And then they may do something for that customer, having heard mm. that. Mm. But it might be only un- only when the guest un- unveils the information. Mm. Yeah, they're not saying, "What are you here for today? What are you staying for?" It's like, "Hello." How long are you here? <laughs> But I also loved that she talked about the convenience store behavior, service, the way they treat you is exactly the same as further up the chain at the classy five-star hotels. It was so true. I hadn't thought about that. And the man who, or the woman who comes to deliver off your parcels at the door, very polite. And the chap who comes to mind tips his hat to me. He tips his hat. That's lovely. He tips his hat. He's got a cap and he tips it as he leaves. And it's so cute. I love it. funny. (laughs) <laughs> my really, my really Nicole lady is always asking me how my kids are now because she's been delivering boxes to us since they were babies and she always says oh what grade's your daughter in now and I was like, that, that's kind of weird though but that is just the the long relationship yeah. we have yeah. a 12 year history together yes. of delivering yes. and receiving boxes so she can I ask those kind of time. questions yeah <laughs> um and also you know just the abundance of opportunities that you can yeah you know, right Rebecca could see from her her eyes right focus on doing anything here it's endless and she called mm. out sustainability in one particular place but just yeah. brilliant I think there must be so many roles for people who want to come to Japan in the hotel industry opening up so if that is you and you're like oh but I don't speak Japanese probably not a problem you this mm-hmm. could be your greatest chance because there is a need for skilled hospitality workers mm. here in Japan and you'll learn the Japanese fairly quickly when you're on the ground. I'm pretty wow. sure of that. Yeah. What an exciting concept to have and in, in the middle of in the heart of Shibuya. I can't wait to go and actually stay there and, and meet the locals and just, you know, be able to talk with them too would be really fun to find out more about Shibuya and what they do. And it will really make, as she said, about hotel staying in a hotel, it's a it's a memory creating experience. Yeah. And I would, I'm really open to f- shifting my mind about my version of Shibuya in my mind. Mm, I can't yeah, wait. That's interesting, isn't it? Yeah, I've never really found that to be a place that I like to spend time in Tokyo, mostly because, like you said, lots of young people, so many people there. But if you have that that special place to go mm. and make that your hub and learn about the area, then that makes it so much more accessible totally. and interesting for everybody. That's fabulous. And they've got a cafe restaurant. I'm sure they're open for people to pop in. And uh, I know it's mm. open 24 hours because I saw it's open from 12 a.m. to 12 a.m. <laughs> Whoa. So I would imagine there's an opportunity there to pop in for a coffee and just soak up some of that neighborhood mm. feeling from the staff who are there. I can't wait to see what they do. Mm. Wow, congratulations, Rebecca, being an amazing gender. We are super psyched for this opening happening this coming autumn. Definitely, and we're sharpening our scissors for the yes, ribbon cutting. <laughs> Can't wait. 
Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. Make sure you check out our guests' links in the show notes. This podcast is brought to you today by Catherine O'Connell Law and Pod Launch with Jane. If you have a great story you think should be on the show, come and find us on LinkedIn or Instagram. We'd love to hear from you. See you next time. Mata ne!